jocks in the pool That is not cool, I need the tools Take me to school, feet first Into this league, me first That cannot be, under the underdog Monica G Feeling a whole lot better suddenly I get in with it, win it again You're one and two in the bag and I'm going for three That is the beat down, got her the best So I keep now, y'all tread in water for weeks Now, now I'm the shark so I eat Now, look, I am not sorry I understood the pun from which I started And never getting these drafts is cathartic, so Dynasty underdog bite down up at the day and the night now easy as flying a kite now come take a look at it right now Dynasty underdog bite down up at the day and the night now easy as flying a kite now come take a look at it right now We are recording we're good to go Oh impressive <laughs> Gotta make sure though I like it I like it I don't mind you saying that loud you can tell me every time as long as I know it's recording <laughs> As soon as your eye hops on I hit record and and you get to hear a bunch of our nonsense when you guys edit it. Perfect. Perfect lead-in. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 87, Dynasty Underdog. I'm your host, Ryan Dawkins. Join with me as always, Billy Beeman, Josh Colbert. How you guys doing? What up? What's up? How you doing, man? Wow, was there a little accent in there, Josh? Like, did you throw a little, like, Jamaican I, accent in there, bro? Like I, some I London? Really... Hey, mate. Hey, mate, cheerio. Checking in. <laughs> You getting getting in with the Aussies what, too much or something? <laughs> it's kind of like that one Eminem uh, album where he like went full on like to make an accent for like no apparent reason. What was that? A uh, relapse? Oh, something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's like, yeah, maybe I I uh, random accents into the ground. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Hip hip cheerio. We're good. <laughs> I think he was getting sober, so like whatever, whatever you got to do. Hey, whatever helps, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's hop into some news and nonsense. This one is great because like I didn't really expect it to. This is obviously a dynasty football podcast, but I have been rejuvenated in my love for Mariner baseball. And uh, so yeah, you know, baseball month. There's not a whole lot going on in the NFL right now. We're just waiting and waiting for the NFL draft. But do you guys follow baseball at all? Kind of a little bit. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yankees and Marlins are my teams. I follow them. One's normally on the better end of the spectrum. The other one's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So, but other than that, I mean, we have playoff hockey going on right now. Panthers are number one. Really no complaints there. Playoff basketball, the Heat are number one. So right now Miami's a really good place to be for sports. Yeah, I'd much rather watch hockey or uh, basketball for sure over baseball. But we actually happen to talk baseball on any given pod today just because I essentially what they did was they had somebody mic'd up live in game. I forgot what game it was. Jake was talking about it, but mic'd up live in game and talking to the announcers while he was in center field, talking about the play that was going to happen and the play that he was talking about happening happened. So that was like really cool thing that I thought could be a crossover in all sports. Like they could bring, not necessarily talking to the announcers is ridiculous for football, but like in game mic'd up while we're watching them on red zone would be incredible, like just amazing content. But uh, last thing I'll say is I like, I wish I could watch more sports because like, obviously I live down in Miami and the teams are really good right now or not in Miami. I live in South Florida and teams are really good right now. But like, I literally am so focused on football. Like I have tunnel vision, man. I literally can't even, I don't, I wouldn't have time, dude. I I don't, my wife would never see me. (laughs) She sees you now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Mariners got some good prospects and stuff, and we started out two and zero. And I'm like, this is our season. And, you know, I think we have like the longest playoff drought in all of professional sports. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just really, really excited. And then we lost the last three, so whatever. <laughs> and screw the Yankees. I'd love to see the Yankees fail. So I'll I'll leave it at that. Hey, I mean, it's not my fault. You guys couldn't do anything with Robinson Cano after us, but that's another story. Couldn't say, Billy, what you were talking about being mic'd up. Uh, especially for a center fielder, I think that's a great idea. They don't see that much action in comparison, but I don't know if you guys heard, T.O. is playing in the fan-controlled football league, and he is going to be mic'd up during games and talking to the announcers and pretty much giving live play-by-plays, have a camera on his helmet. It's him and Johnny Menzel on the same team, so we should get some good commentary out of that. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even know that was happening, first of all. I I got to see that. Johnny Menzel throwing yeah. it It's T.O., like that's that's a that's a combo i don't think anybody ever expected or wanted to see or wants to see but i'm interested in seeing it now we deserve it i cannot wait to see this you have 50 year old to out there catching passes from fucking uh johnny menzel it it's a disaster just waiting to happen but it's gonna be an amazing thing to watch 
He'll probably look better than Jalen Rager, though. What do you mean? Teams are calling about him, man. He's a wanted commodity right now. <laughs> yeah, his says his agent. Yeah. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. Uh, all right, so this is not anything I'm familiar with, but you have a Brady owner, player, plus Sean Payton to the Dolphins in 2023. What are you talking about? Oh, this is one of the, in my opinion, one of the most ridiculous rumors that are out there right now. But supposedly there's rumors that um, this past offseason until Brian Flores filed his lawsuit that the plan was to bring Sean Payton over, give the Saints some compensation for him. Then Brady was going to force his hand from the Bucks to the Dolphins and become a partial owner of the team as well as a quarterback. And now because of Brian Flores, that all got blown up, obviously, and the rumors in 2023, but I don't see it happening. Uh, we just hired Mike McDonald, who supposedly all, all the players absolutely love. And if two goes out there and plays, I cannot see them benching him for Brady for what one, possibly two years. I, I just, I think, yeah, this is a reaching rumor, but it's out there. So I thought we should just briefly discuss it. If Brady were to go there, there'd be no benching to it. Two would be gone. First of all, it would just be Brady and Super Bowl or bust for the next year or two, just like Tampa Bay did. But I, I actually do think that I don't know exactly how the conspiracy lines up really, whether it's like how you said it or just some other way. But I really do think that there's something to the Brady to Dolph. I think he wanted, we talked about this a lot. I think he wanted out of Tampa Bay and essentially Tampa Bay said, no, that's not going to happen. Whether it was Jason Light's decision or Bruce Arians, whatever it was. And Brady decided, okay, I'm going to come back, but get Bruce out of there. Right. So that's, that was basically the deal. I think that he wanted out. And I think that going to Miami was something that he probably was exploring owner player thing. I don't think the NFL would ever allow it. Like, I don't think that it would just, that would ever work. Sean Payne in 2023. It's not the first time I've heard that actually to the dolphins. I I've heard rumors that Mike McDon Mike McDaniel is like a lame duck, like one year, let him just get toasted as the first year head coach and out and see if they can get Sean Payne or somebody in there. I, I've heard that before. It's not the first time. Uh, I, it just so much turnover for a Dolphins team that looks good. It doesn't make sense to me. I feel like Mike McDaniel is doing everything to build this in his vision. So that one doesn't make sense anymore to me, but the Brady one, I kind of buy, I, but he's staying in Tampa. So it's kind of a, you know, it doesn't matter. I agree. I mean, personally, I like everything I've seen from Mike so far as our head coach, he's getting building chemistry with the players. The players all, like I said, said they love him. He's a great guy. And I really hope he's able to, pull something out of our players. And if we go to the playoffs, I cannot see them making a change after one season. I just really cannot envision it. Yeah. I think you need a, a dolphins pod. You're so <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> so enthusiastic. Uh, awesome. All right. Next one, Derek Carr. I don't know if we saw this coming at all, but he got a three-year extension, 121.5 million puts him, I believe I saw top five. And salary making about 40 mil a year. Yeah. Launches him into the 40 mil club. Yeah. I think this makes sense. I, I think that honestly, you'll look in a year or two and this will look like a pretty good deal for, for Derek Carr in the league. And so that's why they did it now, but also just try and I think keep the tandem of him and Devonta Adams together for as long as they can. Right. And just keep that core together and try to make a run at it for a couple of years here. So it, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's good for dynasty. If you, if you are, you know, rostering car so much security in this right now. I tried to buy him. Not that I thought he was going to get an extension, but I tried to buy him kind of just earlier on. Cause I know a lot of people aren't big on car, but I just think, you know, more and more people are catching on that. He's just that leader type. He's been consistent. He's not, you know, the best in the league or anything, but he works in that offense. He works in that system and they've gotten a lot better. So I, I just think, you know, everybody in that offense gets a, a boost this year. Really? I agree with you, but with an asterisk. We don't know what he's going to be like in Josh McDaniel's system. So, in my opinion, giving him this contract before you see how he plays, it, I mean, I understand it. You Obviously, the Devontae Adams, you want to tie them together. They, hopefully, they could um, rejuvenate the chemistry they had when they were in college, but we'll see how it looks at the end of the season. I mean, it's either going to look really, really well or really, really badly. I do not think there's going to be a middle ground there. Personally, I love this for Derek Carr. I remember that was one of, like, one of the first few NFL drafts I watched all the way through and was, like, invested in. And, you know, he was my second-rated quarterback at the time. I had Bortles above him. 
Well, episode of the NFL. So all right, let's send them send them to the NFL to evaluate QBs. Let's go. <laughs> but <laughs> so I, and it seems like every year for the last three years at least, it's like it gets to be about summertime and like, are they in on Derek Carr? Are they gonna look to trade him away? It's like seems like every year he has to deal with the noise of like this guy's not good enough and they don't want him around. Now, finally, this front office is saying, yeah, we, we do like him and he's our guy. It just took like seven years, but finally, you know, they're saying, hey, yeah, well, let's keep him around. So I'm, I'm happy for him more than anything. I, I like Derek Carr a lot too. I, I think that he's proven himself at this point. And you're, you're absolutely right though about like the questions about him leading up to this. I mean, he, he got his deal, so there are no more questions. They believe in him, but the, leading up to this year until really the John Gruden thing happened and he really showed his leadership and uh, persevered through the the really tough season that they did and performed well the playoff berth the whole nine yards right so it, it kind of makes sense just seeing what he did last season I think that the offense should be an upgrade right Josh McDaniels offense should be an upgrade so I, I have high hopes for these guys I, one thing I've been thinking about lately and I don't know you guys can toss your thoughts in here or not but I think that Hunter Renfro is like curving down to kind of like the buy candidate because I think a lot of people are down on him. Devontae Adams comes in. They think Darren Waller and him are going to kind of really lead the way. But I think what's going to end up happening is to Josh McDaniel's offense, his credit, there might be a little bit of just that kill you by a thousand cuts deal with Hunter Renfro, right? Like he might still just get 10 targets a game and catch seven, eight of them for 50 yards and a touchdown here and there, right? And that's startable. So I think a lot of people are losing sight of the fact that he – is still going to be a target monster. So I just think that that's a guy who you, you might be able to go out and get cheaper than what his actual value is. Oh, I've been holding on to Renfro every league I have him. I've had some offers for him, but I'm holding out. I really think the attention is going to be on Adams and Renfro is going to eat. Um, really quick, I just want to ask you guys, because I completely forgot about this to Bill. You were just talking about Gruden, but have you guys heard anything about Gruden's lawsuit? No, I'm sure they're trying to keep that one under wraps. Something fishy went, went on there, so... And if it has anything to do with the NFL, we'll never actually really hear about it. Yeah, they wanted they wanted him to take the fall and sweep that under the rug for sure. All right, uh, last bit of news here, uh, kind of somber to talk about, but Dwayne Haskins, rest in peace. He was in Florida. He looked like you know he posted some videos. He was training with some people. Uh, one morning, he ended up in an accident and he lost his life at the young age of 24. He was going to turn 25 next no yeah in may next month so r.i.p crazy couldn't imagine no and it's just weird uh billy and i both live kind of by where this accident happened it just makes no sense at all um it happened in the middle of two highways there's no gas stations or anything nearby for supposedly if his car broke down now there's reports coming out that people saw him walking in the middle of the road tractor trailers had to swerve around him excuse me and I hate to say this, but now I'm kind of curious of the toxicology report once it comes out. Yeah, so, something's odd for sure. I mean, I, I don't know in any state of anybody jogging on the interstate, but, you know, it is what it is. It's really, really shitty. I, I think one thing I saw from like the dynasty community is everybody was like, should I drop him? Should I keep him on my roster? That whole thing. I just, the only thing I'll say is like, I don't think you need to feel bad about it's fantasy. Like, I don't think you need to feel bad about dropping Dwayne Haskins. Like, obviously thoughts and prayers and everything with his family and, and, you know, not has nothing to do with him as a person. <laughs> like, so yeah, I just think that you can like kind of separate those two things. If you, if you want and not feel too bad about it, you know? Yeah. I mean, not trying to sound cold by saying this, but unfortunately, like you said, this is fantasy. We have to, you have to build your roster. And I had him in a couple of rosters holding on to him, hoping out for hope that he'd come in as the Steelers battle about the training camp. But it's not like he did a quote unquote retirement and there's a chance he might come back. Unfortunately, you have to drop it. Unfortunately, you have to drop him, whether you drop him the day after the accident or the first week of the season, you have to drop him at some point. So you might as well drop him and get somebody off the waiver. No. And that's the point right there. Honestly, that's the point is that like at some point you're doing it anyway. So it's just not a big deal, but yeah. Um, yeah, really. It's just a very, very sad story for a young guy. I mean, we're all, you know, thir about 30 or 30. Just couldn't imagine 24 years old dude wild all right so i was tasked with because on this pod i i we all talk about uh certain definitions that maybe a lot of newer dynasty players aren't familiar with when it comes to to the analytics so i try to do my best to talk about some of the 
more important ones in case you don't really know what it is. And I'm saying, hey, you know, BOA or breakout age, what is that? Or dominator, stuff like that. So I just want to give a couple quick definitions here. I thought it'd be good content for some of the newer listeners and see what they mean and maybe why they matter to me and to some of the analytics community and just dynasty players in general. Love this. Love this. Yeah. So breakout age. A lot of times if you see it written out, it'll be written out just as BOA. And essentially breakout age is the age at which a receiver reaches a 20% dominator rating for the first time. Some sites will use 30%, but 20% is, is ex- totally acceptable. And so you're probably wondering what a dominator rating is. College dominator rating is first outlined by Frank DuPont in a book called The Plan. The dominator, college dominator rating represents a player's market share or his percentage of team's offensive production. For example, a 35% dominator indicates a wide receiver has a potential to be a team's number one wide receiver and or a high caliber contributor. 20 to 35% indicates a mid-level talent with situational upside, less than 20% is a red flag. Basically it's saying how much of the pie is this player taking from their team? How much of this is this one single player's, how much of the offense is he alone? And if he's scoring 35% of the combined touchdowns and yards on a team, you're saying, hey, he's that dude for this team. A lot of people will take a little bit further and say, well, what's a dominator uh, you know, in this specific conference? Because everybody knows the SEC is a little bit harder, better talent than other conferences, ACC, et cetera. I don't really get into that too much because I'm not that big of a college guy, so I can't say with certainty, but a lot of smarter people do. But that's basically a dominator rating. 35%, you're saying, hey, you know, he's one third of our entire offense, basically. And that's just a good thing. You see that at a young age, that means he's dominating early on. And that's always, always a good thing. Frank DuPont sounds like a 17th century, like French philosopher, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he wrote and it with I- a, a <laughs> ink and quill, you know? And in my head, that's oh how I'm God. reading it. I don't care. I don't care if he was like 18 years old and he figured this out. That's how I'm thinking of it. That's where he's from. He's like this old guy who came up with this fantasy thing called dominator rating like two, 300 years ago. Cause I enjoy, cause it's fun. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Does he have a top hat and mustache? Exactly. There yeah. you go. You, you got it, man. You're with me. <laughs> cool. The other one is yards per team pass attempt. It's very similar to yards per route run. Mm-hmm. Basically it's saying, Hey, when a team is throwing the ball or this player is running a route, uh, how many, how many, how many yards is he getting per play? Basically how efficient is he being in that offense? A lot of times you'll see it written as YPTMPA, yards per team pass attempt. The reason why a lot of people use the yards per team pass attempt is because finding out how many pass attempts a college team made is free and easy. And finding out how many yards a player got is free and easy. Yards per route run, that's a little bit harder because the sites that track how many routes a player run, those are behind a paywall. They're very similar stats and both very sticky and they're used a lot. So there's that. Yards per team pass attempt, similar to yards per route run, is average gives an R squared of 21.5% for years, one through three, for predicting future production of PPR finish, if that makes sense. It does. It does. So uh, anything R squared over 20% is a decent hit. Basically, R squared is a coefficient of determination. If you had two variables and with one outcome, you had a one and a two and then a three. But the other variable, you had a one, a two, and a three. One correlates to one, two correlates to two, three correlates to three, perfectly give you an R squared of one. So basically, you're going to look at a list of variables and see how they compare to other ones. And if they correlate similarly, the R squared number is a little bit higher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you, go. you, you got it. it. You got it. <laughs> Funny is you absolutely crushed it though. Like I, I got to give you mad credit because it's hard to get through this, but it's you, you did it, delivered it very well for the listeners. All right. So in essence, R squared is a statistical measure of fit that indicates how much a variation of a dependent variable is explained by an independent variable in a regression. Like how much does the stat actually matter? Exactly. Yeah. And people do that for like height, BMI. Uh, basically a lot of the combine metrics, if you look at the combine metrics and you look at PPR finishes, there's almost no correlation whatsoever. Yep. And finally, early versus late declare. Basically, did this dude dominate guys that were one to three years younger than him or not? And did he come back to school or did he declare early for school? Was he a junior? Did he play his two years in college and declared after his junior year because he's just that dude? 
or did he have to go back to school another year just to beat up on the little guys to pad the stats? Early declared versus late declared matters a lot of the time because we just we assume and think that for majority of these players, if you declare early, that means you're ready. And that means you're ready younger, which is always a good thing because you're only going to get bigger, faster, and stronger. If you're a late declared, oftentimes it's because they're telling you you're not ready yet. I do believe there are situations where guys want to go back to school because they just love college and they want to like, quote unquote, run it back. But I would, I would bet that most of the time when these guys go back, it's because they were told, hey, you're not going to be a first round talent or a second round talent. The NFL doesn't quite see you that way. So why don't you go back and hone your skills? And that's it. That's my definitions. Dude, I, you absolutely like nailed that, man. I, I really, really appreciate you running through that for everybody, honestly, because it's always good to kind of look back at all the, the stats and all the numbers and all the, the things that we're talking about and, and actually know what they are, right? Like you can get lost in the sauce real easily. You know, when you're thinking about this, you're like, well, you forget sometimes, not forget, but you just lose sight of what dominator rating actually is, what it means and, and how to kind of put it in context. Same with like late declare, early declare, like you're saying, you don't know like, right, why the guy went back. But like, it, that's when you're paying more attention, you might know, you know, maybe Chris Olave didn't go back because they told him he wasn't going to make it it was a little different for him. And if you have the context around that, you can kind of judge it against the historical data, right? And say like, is he part of this data set that's definitely not going to hit? Or is he somebody who, you know, just went back, is a really solid player, solid person, and is going to, you know, put his best foot forward, then like, you know. So either way, thank you also for doing the yards per team pass attempt and talking about kind of how it relates to uh, yards per route run, because I think those are two we hear a lot. And not sure like a lot of people aren't sure what the difference is right like and and you were saying obviously it's easier to get per team pass attempt but i also think that you went through it and it is a little bit more predictive right that's the other thing about it too that is a little bit more advantageous so with that said i think we wanted to go through that before we really just kind of emptied the notebook as i keep saying and talk about some of the prospects for the 2022 draft because we are only two weeks away definitely aren't going to get through a single prospect profile on most of these guys before. So we figured we would just kind of quickly do mini versions of what we had done for some of the prospect profiles and, uh, and use some of the, the stats we were talking about and also talk some of the film. Yeah, really quick, just before we top, uh, hop on that, just uh, as far as the early late declares, just a couple of things I want to point out and get your guys' opinion on. Um, first off, obviously injury risk, player going back for another year versus getting paid go back and then blow out their ACL or something that's going to more times than not, obviously you still have those outliers that will still get drafted where they're going to go based on potential. But I think injury risk is another factor that really has to be played into there. That's something that could be predicted. It's just one of those quote unquote acts of God that happen. Um, the other thing is a player's family value. Um, you also sometimes hear about players that never had a anybody in their family graduate from college and it's their mom's or dad's lifelong dream to see their kid graduate. I do know a lot of, there is a number of players that go back after the fact to finish, but there have also been some players that have gone back for that senior year just to finish it off, just to make their family proud. And finally, um, outliers that I feel the players go back for whatever the reason might be, and then they come out, they're obviously a year or two older than when they would have been drafted, depending on where their birthday is. And I feel those players tend to get looked down upon you're being a rookie at 24 or whatever the age might be. So I definitely think there are some outside factors that have to go into play when you're looking at early versus late declares. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, we kind of mentioned just, Hey, you know, we don't exactly know why every single one of these players does go back. We just do know that historically the players that declare early tend to produce better than those that don't. Not all the time. You know, uh, I think Waddle was a late declare and he had a pretty good season. So you just never know. And I think partly that's injury related for him. Right. But it's also, again, I think that it's it, Josh definitely brings up good points. Just highlighting again, what I'm saying is that, or that what we're talking about is that if you have a close enough eye or you're listening to the right people, right. Like you'll, you'll know why these guys are late declares and why they aren't. But for the majority, if you're looking at just a, you know, all of the, the players that are coming out this year, you can weed out a lot of the guys who don't hit any of the other marks for you, who don't hit any of the other thresholds, but they're late declares and are, you know, 
you're, you're on the fence about them, but it's like, dude, like you're, you're, you're old and you're not, you don't have that much going on. It's like, I can just kind of cut you out of my, you know, out of my population here. And, and I think it's useful for that kind of thing to quickly sort through some of these guys, because honestly, we are looking through like 60, depending on what format you're playing. If you're playing IDP, it's like 200 players, but you know, 60 to hundred players you're looking at every time they come in. And if you want to be good at dynasty, you do want to have your eyes on a good majority of them. Excellent. Let's empty out that notebook. Oh yeah. Let's, let's just empty that notebook. Absolutely. So you guys want to start with the QBs or the, the tight ends? Go with the QBs. Cause I won't have, won't have much to offer. So <laughs> this, this is all you no yeah honestly i don't even think that i mean there's definitely probably a couple more that there's one or two more i think that are out there that i might not mention or that aren't on my list here because i'm kind of going from the film review list but let me see i got through eight of them and honestly i think that's all that's really relevant for dynasty at, at that at that point so i'm just going to throw out the names real quick and then we can quickly talk about a few of them but uh we haven't talked about wait have we talked about malik willis we have right we mentioned them, yes. We haven't really talked about them, but we've we haven't done them. a prospect profile on anybody. No. Okay, so Matt Corral, EJ Perry, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Bailey Zapp, I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, and Carson Strong. I always want to say Wentz, but I don't want to give <laughs> that, that that bad rap, right? Ouch. Really quick, I I have a sleeper that's not on that list. Yeah, I, I, there's one I know I'm missing, but who? Aquil Bless. I don't oh, know if you guys have heard of him he's or not. not going anywhere, dude. No, I, I haven't dude. heard of him. What's his name? <laughs> Aquil, A Q E E L Glass, played for Alabama AM, threw for 12,000 yards with a 109 to 41 touchdown interception ratio. Um, he did play for four years, For has a um, chance to be the first HBCU quarterback drafted since 2006. Um, obviously I don't think he's going to be an early round pick by any means, but I do like his player profile and I think he might be able to help the team out later round. All right. Sleeper, sleeper. Just pick. A name to check out <laughs> sleeper pick from Josh. All right. So, uh, let's just like, I guess, just start from, from Matt Corral, because I think Matt Corral is really one of the better quarterbacks in this class checks off a lot of boxes, but really, I think he's a little undersized and that's going to be the biggest problem for Matt Corral. But you instantly noticed a quick release. I hear a lot of people talking about it, him having like a really awkward throwing motion and it being quick because he doesn't throw it right. So that, that may cause him some issues. Really, really not sure. But in general, he seems to be pretty on point. He's pretty accurate. He can move defenders well. He's athletic. So there's a lot to like about Matt Corral. I just don't think he's going to get drafted very highly. And I do think he's like really, really, really undersized. So I'm not sure. If he holds up, I get like smaller Daniel Jones vibes, which isn't isn't great. <laughs> I understand that. Matt Corral, 2021 season stats, 3,349 yards, 20 touchdowns, five interceptions, a QBR of 80.5. And his career completion percentage is going to be right around, do some quick math, uh, right around 68%. So that's pretty good. Okay. How, like, how does Sam Howell compare to him? Because like, I'm not a big fan of Sam Howell, but he's getting a ton of hype in this class. I think he's also really undersized. I heard somebody call him smaller or less accurate Russell Wilson, which, okay. I mean, I like, I guess if you really wanted to comp him to somebody, I, what, what did I comp him to? I think I said Dak Prescott without a big arm and less size. I was going to say Tim, to me, that's perfect. That's almost a perfect comparison, <laughs> but I really don't think that he has great footwork and there's just, a, there's a lot about his game. I, I don't think is great throwing motion, a whole bunch of things that I'm not a big fan of, but how does he compare, I guess, stat wise to, Matt Corral. 2021 season, 3,056 yards, 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions, uh, QBR of 76, which is not the greatest. His yeah. career completion percentage is probably around 65. Yeah. I know he lost a lot of talent last year, and that's part of it. And a lot of people are like, have a lot of respect for how he played through it. But I don't know. I wasn't very impressed. Either way, uh, let, let's talk about the guy who's been on the rise, like Desmond Ritter. Right. Desmond Ritter, I keep hearing all the hype about Desmond Ritter and how he's getting through these interviews and just crushing them like he's a god in these things. And I, I like I there's obviously a lot to be said about that, but the guy still has to get on the field and, and perform. Right. And I just man, every time I watch this film, dude, like he just doesn't look like he knows what's going on on the field all the time. He has sloppy mechanics, first of all he's not really disciplined in any of that stuff. Like it leads to a lot of off throw targets, like, or off target throws. Like you can see shit going way over guys' heads and stuff. 
Uh, I, he, he's obviously athletic and he has good escapability. That's what everybody loves, but man, footwork breaks down under pressure. Like he has a cannon. That he doesn't know what to do with. He can't even hit the guys down the field when they're open. So, I mean, he has so much work to do. I like, Anything pop off the page with him? It's not great. Uh, I think he might have some. <laughs> That's perfect. He, he's got a good size. He's 6'4", 215, listed on ESPN. His 2021 stats were 3,334 yards, 30 touchdowns to eight interceptions, which is not too bad. His QBR is 72. His best com- best completion percentage, though, was 66.2, and that was in 2022. And 2019, it was as low as 55. So he, what you're seeing on film about his accuracy issues is – showing up on the sheets too he's just not a very accurate quarterback yeah everybody is like giving him so much respect because he he got that team to the college playoffs but i think they had a really really good team in general really good coach right yeah okay real quick let's jump on to kenny pickett small hands mini hands right (laughs) yeah i don't i don't think i'm too worried about the hands thing i'm really not like if he gets drafted to pittsburgh like i'm gonna draft him in the in the end of the first round with some late first round pick and be totally happy about it I like everything. He, he reminds me a lot of Joe Burrow in that, you know, he improved so much from one year to the next to his final year. And obviously I don't think he's Joe Burrow. I don't think he's that good or anything, but he reminds me of like, just the, when I watched him on tape, he was by far the, the most improved QB of any of these guys this year. Like he took this major leap somehow just has all the, all, all of the things that you want as far as the quick release, the footwork, every, everything, he has some mobility and all that. So I don't see too much downside to him, but I do think like his accuracy mid range and deep is a little underwhelming, you know, arm power, whatever, but he does have like a good skill set. He, he does use like a lot of different, you know, he's like pump fakes and stuff. Like he's kind of advanced. I will say he plays a bit like Carson Wentz. <laughs> like he looks like Carson Wentz when he plays. It's funny. So I don't know how that's going to work out for him. I'm not going to try to hold that against him or anything, but. Yeah, I mean, does Kenny Pickett take a big hit because he didn't do anything prior to 2021? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, like you mentioned Burrow a couple times, like that was one of my biggest concerns was like, well, he only did it one year. But, you know, dude went to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people might, you know, give him a hit because of that. But like you're saying, every year he's pretty much improved. He's uh, improved his completion percentage. His attempts went up last year. He had 4,300 yards, 42 touchdowns to only seven interceptions, 81.2 QBR. People complain about his hand size, which I know matters a little bit because I mean, the football's big, right? You still have to have a good grip to do. Bigger than the college one. Everyone's like, man, if he plays in cold weather, I don't know. But I mean, he played in Pittsburgh already. So yeah, he plays in cold weather. He does play in cold weather. Okay. So before I hop on to, I'm, there's only a couple left here. I'm going to finish with two lesser known guys, but I did want to just really quickly one more time talk about Josh's boy Malik Willis. All right. Yes, sir. Give, give him a little shine, right? So I just want to say I think he does have a pretty he has a he has decent mechanics, but for some reason, I mean, I guess maybe he maybe that I'm seeing something that's not there because his accuracy is not something to be coveted. Like he he has gotten some receivers killed in college. Like there's some videos going around. It's it's pretty rough seeing some of the stuff that he's done to his guys out there. But overall like he has a strong base like great contact balance so as far as like being a rusher like dude not really taken down easily like he's got tree trunks for legs but quick release good extension looks a little bit smaller than i thought he was but like i said he does have that strong base i he obviously has the elite escape ability he seems to be able to read the field the field well but like the footwork not always there and i think that might be where off aim targets come from right is that like he's not always putting his foot in the ground where he's trying to throw it uh but either way i mean i think he's going to be a pretty a pretty good player if they give him some time to develop he's like a mini mike vick right did you happen to watch this pro day i did not yeah i saw it he he was throwing some accurate bombs i mean obviously no defense it's pro day is a pro day you got to take it for what it's worth but i think you're a little low on him but obviously only time will tell. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, and I will say you're, you might be looking at my film rankings and he came in fourth on them and that's done not necessarily where I will rank him. Like my film rankings aren't like my rankings, right? Like I I'm doing this and this is a factor within the rankings. And like your eye and I have like slowly are building a model for the other positions, not for QBs, but like that also weighs into kind of how I will be ranking them as well. But Malik Will is probably like top two. I imagine he, him and Kenny Pickett are the top two. 
uh, what order I don't know that'll probably be more landing spot dependent but okay I don't really want to talk about Carson Strong because I don't think that he's that relevant I know a lot of people like him but he has no knees and he isn't really <laughs> in, in, in my opinion he really wasn't that great so I don't think he's going to hold up in the NFL and I don't think he's going to get drafted very high so I'm going to skip him. The two I want you to tell me about off the sheets are Bailey Zapp and EJ Perry. Uh, we talked about EJ Perry a little bit last week, I think, from Brown. But both of these guys really stand out to me. They're, I mean, Bailey Zapp more is like a pocket quarterback. Like Davis Mills 2.0 is what I see in him. Absolutely. Like he's like the pocket passer, nailing everything left and right. Great mechanics. Like everything you want to see out of him it's like he should have been at a at a top 10 school or something I don't know what happened there exactly I didn't see exactly what the issue was but man I don't know he, he's a little bit smaller six two so he could get beat up easily I don't know Bailey's that I mean um EJ Perry I just thought very accurate technically sound similar to the other guy he's a lot more mobile though this guy he can kind of get out of the pocket when he needs to I really liked what I saw out of EJ Perry and, and Bailey's app. I thought they were some of the better core, like way above Carson Wentz. I mean, Carson strong, in my opinion. See, I did it again. Carson Wentz. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bailey's app. They have him listed six, one two twenty. He threw for last year. He threw for 5,000, almost 6,000 yards, 5,167, <laughs> which is that's one hell of a season in college, 62 touchdowns to only 11 interceptions QBR of 78.6. He had a pretty good year in 2019, 2020. I'm assuming has a lot to do with COVID, but his accuracy last year is 69.2 completion percentage. That's not bad. No. I think one of the bigger stats that matters um, for quarterbacks, as far as I could tell, is completion percentage. Uh, though Mac Jones, I think, probably holds the record for like the most accurate quarterback in NFL history, but um, or college history. And who was the other guy? Perry, right? Yeah, Perry. He also, EJ Perry, and I think Bailey Zapp, they both played in pro-style offenses, but definitely EJ Perry when I was watching him, which really gave him some opportunity to, like, show how he could read the field and read the field and scan and do those kind of things, work through progressions. And I think that's something that you don't see as much from some of the offenses. Like, you do see it, obviously, with, like, LSU sometimes and certain ones, but just not always. So I thought that was something to point out, too, is that they actually have some experience, I think, with NFL-type offenses. Awesome, yeah. Uh, EJ Perry, 6'2", 210. Last year, threw for 3,034 yards, 23 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Mm. Completion percentage of 66.5. Not bad, but just looking at the numbers, a little careless. Interceptions aren't great. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. All right, I'm glad we got to go through those guys. I mean, I think those are going to be the most fantasy-relevant bunch right there. Like, this year's a pretty rough QB class, so we'd be lucky to see one, if not two go in the first round, like that's, you know, and that's just going to be off hype. I, I doubt it's going to be more than that. Yeah. I feel like that's how many should go, but I bet we still get at least three. Yeah. It's just, cheap, just cheaper. For, I can for sure see three going in the first round. Yeah. I, I keep like, and that'd be because Desmond Ritter flies up for some reason, but I think that's going to be, I, I honestly would feel very, very bad for whatever team does that. I think it's a wasted pick, but that's just me. All right, let's jump into the tight ends real quick and talk about them. I don't know if we're going to talk about all of them. I'll give you the names and just let you know about them. But because, again, this is like really rough after the top, probably five or six. It's like, I don't know what we're talking about here, but just list off a couple of them. Trey McBride, Jeremy Rutker, Jelani Woods, Charlie Kohler, Isaiah Likely and Peyton Hendershot. That's like the top six guys that I have here. There's also Jalen Weidermeyer, who's pretty good. I know everybody is like, not everybody, but especially Daniel Jeremiah loves Greg Dolchich. He's down there. I, Grant Calcerterra, that's how you say it. He looked pretty good at the combine, but dude has no after the catch ability. So I'm not sure that he's really going to be relevant for fantasy. So yeah, I mean, I think those are the fantasy relevant ones. We've talked about Trey McBride. We don't need to talk about him again, obviously. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> obviously a sudden if you haven't heard go listen to uriah on rookie fever podcast he did a prospect profile on trey mcbride and it was absolutely awesome so definitely go listen to that uh if you want more trey mcbride content i did want to mention jeremy rucker this guy was out of jeremy Rook. ohio state ohio state right yeah it was a big school guy was out of ohio state he is an exceptional blocker he's a bigger guy like profiles as an h back type he can, he can definitely block linemen, beat up corners. Like he's big enough to kind of do it all. And he, ends, he actually happens to be a pretty fluid runner, has some wiggle. You see him score some touchdowns in some games. I think 
in Penn State this past year, he had showed off some really good hands. He he can uh, he he can create some separation for himself. I actually like I like Jeremy Rucker a lot. I just think at Ohio State he didn't get an opportunity to show his skills as often as the NFL would like. But this is a guy who I think could go later and end up being one of the better tight ends in the class. You know. Yeah. Just real quick, I'll just touch on a couple of things here. His best market share of receiving yards on that offense. I mean, it was Ohio State. So grain of salt, we have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are all going to get selected in the first round. So when you have those two to throw to, you're probably going to throw to them more often than, you know, Jeremy Ruckert. But his best market share of receiving yards was 7.1%, which is not sexy. <laughs> no, absolutely. And that's a good point for sure. And I, I literally, in, in my notes, I have it limited because he was underutilized. Yeah, but his best market share of receiving touchdowns was 227 Mm-hmm. And that was his uh, age 20 year. That was not in 2021, but in, uh, yeah, 2020. So, I mean, you know, he, he's, he's there to get the, you know, to get the end zone targets. Did, correct me if I'm wrong. Did like the, not Travis Kelsey, but the uh, George Kittles and those and Andrews types, did they jump off the page like that in those numbers? Cause I, I just wanted, cause I know that they were not highly sought after assets and I'm, I'm this is a kind of one of those guys who is big enough to do it all like as far as you know stay on the line and block and do all those kind of things and he's already good at it and I'm wondering if they kind of develop him a little bit and let him free uh, and you know work the center of the field and do those kind of things and actually target him maybe he could not be one of those guys but one of those risers more than others from that position what I remember about Kittle was you know uh, combine he just was an absolute stud Right. So I think that kind of he's athletic like that. And I don't know how athletic uh, record is off off the top of my head. So, well, talking about athletic Jelani Woods. Yes. <laughs> dude, this guy, absolute beast. I mean, watching him, dude, like the separation, the elusiveness, everything. And he's so damn big. Not a great blocker, in my opinion. Some people think that he showed off well at the combine. I didn't think so. But hey, if the NFL thinks so, he'll be drafted even higher. And this guy is like, gigantor he's like what's his name uh, mo alley cox but on steroids like he can move better you know i mean athletic as hell above average hands incredible run after the catchability for his size used out of the slot a lot so again like not really showing off that he can play off the, off the line so i think he'd be more of like the gaseki type of role where he's more in the slot and playing out wide or something like that but either way he's going to score touchdowns in the nfl 100 he's going to yeah he, he's got a Height adjusted speed. He ran a four six, and this guy is—he's <laughs> a large man. He's eight foot four. Like <laughs> yeah, he might as well be. <laughs> I, out of all the all the tight ends, he's you know the most athletic uh, out, out there. I don't. Do you, do you think he's pretty raw when it comes to the receiving game, or do, what do you see? No, I thought he was. I thought he had really secure hands. He looked comfortable out there in the receiving game. Like I liked him a lot, man. I didn't really see like when I watched him on film. And there's not much of it again. Like there's only so much of like Jelani Woods because of where he played and Virginia, yeah. You know what I mean? And and you know the scheme there. So, but whenever you see him, and I I heard a I don't know if I mentioned it on here. I meant to tweet this out, but and I don't know if I don't think it was Daniel Jeremiah. It was some it was another NFL scout. But what they said is, if you only grade on the film, you're and you don't grade on the highlights, right? You're gonna miss a lot of good players. You know what I mean? And what he was saying sure. was like, if all you do is watch all of their film and grade them on the plays that they're not making a bunch of plays or that they're doing nothing or just blocking or very technique driven or whatever, and you you ignore, and this hit me with Jamison Williams a little bit where I think I needed to raise him a little bit in my in my ranks, at least in my head, right? Where it's like, I need to focus more on the, the really good things he did rather than the overall film, because I don't think the overall film was great, but the, th- the, the really great things he did were pretty impressive. You know what I mean? So- and I think there's a little bit of that with Jelani Woods is my point. Okay, Charlie Culler. I like this kid a lot, like moves well, a bit rigid in the route running, but good hands, like very, very, very secure hands. That's one of the things I noticed the most about him. Can be a bit slow off the line at times, doesn't exhibit any breakaway speed or elusiveness like most in this class, but dude, 6'6", 260. I think he can improve his blocking skills a little bit with that size, but he, he reminds me of Jason Witten. That's what I get from him. And I think that he can be, I think he's going to get drafted in the NFL and, and used like Kyle Rudolph kind of thing, like something like that. Okay. Charlie Kohler. I know you actually mentioned him. I think we were going to talk about Trey McBride and maybe before the recording, whatever you had brought up his name. Yeah. 
yeah. but this guy, he, he showed out workout metrics. He ran to four, six, seven, 40 yard dash speed score one Oh nine catch radius is a 94th percentile, which, you know, for a tight end, you want to just chuck it up to him. Like that's, that's something you definitely want to do. College dominator is 28.5 and breakout age of 20.6. I mean, he kind of, he's six foot seven, 252 pounds. Like he, he is the size. And he's very athletic. You know, it's kind of a similar situation, I would think, too, as you had mentioned earlier, like like a George Kittle type. Yeah, I like that. I And I liked him before the combine, just so you know. So I'm on to something here. I'm on to something here. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> okay, just I just want to mention a couple more, and we'll move to some trades before we get out of here. But I know everybody loves Isaiah Likely, so I feel like we have to talk about him. He's a little lower on this list for my film scores, but I do have to mention almost the majority of this class are very close together in general. Like the top three, four quarterbacks are like a point apart, which really means they're about the same score. It's just separating them slightly for ranking purposes of like film, but same with the tight ends. There's like, I'm looking at five that are 20 that are at 29 score here. So they're all about the same. Isaiah likely falls in there. He falls about fourth or fifth on this list. Quick release, good hands, ability to create yards after contact. He's fairly elusive. I thought he's like a little choppy in his strides, like the way, just the way he kind of moves. Something about it, I don't know that I, I that that was kind of taking away from I think his speed, right? He doesn't really have elite breakaway speed, but I think he does move very well. I mean, that's part of his game. Um, he's been schemed out the backfield. He reminds me a lot of like a Jonu Smith type, and that scares me a little bit. You know, I, I don't I don't know. He doesn't get a ton of separation by himself, and not an all around tight end. So I'm wondering on like what team is he going to go to that's going to use him properly to be fantasy relevant? One of the things that stood out to me the most about Isaiah likely was just kind of his progression of production, you know, his first year, hundred yards, second year, 431, next year, 601, the next year, 912. Like every single year he's, you know, getting better and better and producing. Peter Howard has his own little models and some of these, I don't know, you know, it's, it's some secret saucy works, but he has Isaiah likely uh, ranked as his top tight end. So, yeah, I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people have him as like their second, if not first or somewhere in the mix with McBride Woods. Right. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm a little bit lower on him as far as the film perspective, but obviously that'll get adjusted, whether it's in a model that we create or just, you know, with the numbers in mind, obviously see where that falls but yeah he wasn't my favorite and I don't think that's saying much considering this class I like Jalen Weidermeyer enough like I think he's good he's he's like Jelani Woods light in my opinion it's the best way to put it really uh Greg Dolchich I don't know why they keep talking about this guy being like the most athletic in the class like I don't see it but hey whatever like he showed out okay at the combine but not great I think Grant Calcerterra or whatever he I think he's going to get drafted similarly He's lower on this list, but similar to like Kolar and Rucker type where he has like a very good skill set as far as blocking goes. And like he he can catch the ball. So he's going to probably and he, and he showed out at the combine. So he's probably going to get drafted somewhere and be OK. But I don't know the rest of them. I don't know if they're worth mentioning. A lot of people like Cole Turner, Kate Otten, but those guys, I think they're so raw. Uh, it's just, you know, there's not much there for me. Not, not enough meat on the bone. So I'm going to be the dick and ask him this, but. Because you're right, a lot of times when we're discussing prospects and rankings, you always mention how they're viewed on somebody else's ranking profiles. How much of that influences your personal pick and your personal rankings on them? Versus, I know, I know you both obviously watch a lot of video, but I'm just curious if you see uh, Charlie Kohler on SMB's tight end one, but you have him as your tight end six. How much would that influence you and possibly? altering your rankings because of their statue in the fantasy community or how long they've been around or something. I will say it, it's not going to ever make me change my ranking. Like, so if I, I, I get a couple hours and I, and I go into the model or whatever, and I dial in, I look at some stats and, you know, I rearrange some things and I'm like, Hey, this is, you know, this is, this is what I have. This is what it's telling me. This is how I feel. And I see that, you know, maybe my second wing to wide receiver is somebody else's sixth. I might be like, well, well, I'll just drop them down two spots. You know, that'll get closer to <laughs> what this one person is feeling. But I do hold some people's opinions in high respect. Peter Howard and the work he does. Uh, Jetpack Galileo, he kind of does. He's with the Fantasy Football Astronauts. He's one yeah, of he the He does more, great film grades. He does great he, film work. Rather. Yes, he yeah. does great film work. And he also does what we're trying to do is 
and I think a lot of people are trying to, I'm not just saying we're, we're special or anything, but trying to match film and analytics and really try to get the whole pie. And, and he does that. And so I, where he has somebody ranked, if it's really far off of where I have somebody ranked, like I want to go back and look at why. And I'm kind of struggling with that right now with Jamison Williams. Because there's just not a whole lot that I really like about him. Like he's okay. Uh, maybe if it didn't take him not being able to produce at Ohio State to go to Alabama, but he went to <laughs> Alabama, which is a really, really good school, and he balled out. And like I should give him credit for that. But based on what I know historically and all these other things, like I just can't, I can't just give him a, I can't raise him in my rankings just because everybody else has him higher. It's just this will allow me this time next year to maybe better my process but as it is right now the process I have is the process I have and I trust it and hopefully it's better than what I did last year I did okay all I'm going to do is look at the people who I do hold a high opinion of and if I see a pretty big discrepancy of where I'm coming from then I'm going to go back and look at it because uh I want my dynasty teams to be good <laughs> you know what I mean I want to draft good players now with you making that comment right there how like I can I know this is kind of back to my original question but how much is that influencing you on your second or third video watch through if you see somebody has a much higher rank than you are you just going into it with the mindset of I see a gap here I want to see if there's rationale behind it or are you going into it with the rat with the ideal ideological standpoint of maybe I'm missing something and I should be looking to get him closer to where this person has him ranked or this person has him ranked. Yeah, it's a slippery slope because you don't want to go looking for something just because you think that somebody saw something that you didn't see. And just trying to fit your opinion to be closer to consensus is not, it's not, it's not for me because I, I do this for me, right? And I, I try to do this for other people that hopefully trust me, you know, to some extent, but I got to be true to, how I want to go about doing this. It, again, it's for this podcast. It's for dynasty. It's for looking at these players. It's all about me. I try to, I look at other people's rankings and I look at the process more the process than anything. Cause I feel like a good process is really what's going to help me. But if I see, you know, somebody out there saying, Hey, wide receiver, a, you know, has, uh, you know, really good yard after the catchability. And I've watched, you know, three, four games of him and he's getting tackled after second contact. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go looking for those two or three plays that this guy must've seen. And cause I just don't agree with it. Um, so it's not really anything specific that anybody would say about a player that I don't agree with where I'm going to go back and try to see if I was wrong. It would just be a culmination of people I trust that are ranking a player at least, you know, three, four spots, above or below, and then I'll have to go back and look at what I trust and try to see where I might be wrong. Now, I think you, you broke that down really well. I mean, I guess the only thing I can add is, I, I, going back to what you said, I think a big part of it is like, you will, you know, I will look back on this, we will look back on this, and it may change our process depending, or not, or improve our process, whatever, however way you want to put it, depending on what the results are, right? We definitely, if, if some people got it right and I just ignored their opinion, I will definitely go back and find what they were looking at next year and try to match that to the next class and see, you know, if, if I was missing that, I need to incorporate that into mine, right? Like maybe there's an attribute that I don't have in my film grade, but I need to add it there. Right. And I actually have a tab for that in my film, uh, in my film sheet, that I thought of like in the middle of grading and I didn't, you know, want to like mess with the process this year, but thought maybe next year it would be a good addition. So I think those things are, are definitely part of it. And then, I mean, when I, when I see stuff like a Jamison Williams is a great, is a great example because I've, I've certainly spent no joke, probably days watching film on him because I continue to see people say things and I continue to go back and, and literally scour through all the film and I try to be really honest with myself and I've definitely marked him up a tick on certain things when, you know, again, something that I was going back to, which was, you know, great as highlights, those kind of things, making sure that I catch all of those and don't ignore them. Those kind of things. I mean, you definitely want to make sure that you aren't missing. And I think that's what some of that stuff does for you. It's not like when I'm final grading, like you're saying, it's like, Oh, somebody has him at this spot. I'm going to make sure I get him closer to this spot. It's more, just like, am I missing something? And it's, it's more of a check and balance system for myself, right? That's kind of what it is. Uh, and I think that's what Uriah is saying. I think that's the right approach to it as well. So 
it's tough, man, because there's a lot of noise out there and we listen to a lot of people. We got into this listening to people. I mean, there was people before them that they listened to. So everybody listened to somebody, you know, no, they're not, nobody's the first <laughs> unless you're Matthew Barry, I guess. But <laughs> regardless, I think that it's hard to like block out the noise of what everybody's saying and be honest with yourself. But that is seriously something that I do. And I, I really pride myself on. And I, I, you know, I think we can all say that on this pod, but I really pride myself on being honest with myself. When I watch the film, if somebody said something, I'm going to go back and I'm not going to put my bias in there and be like, yeah, I don't, I didn't see it. So no, it's not that I'm going to really, really, really try to go see it. And if it's there, I'll grade it. You know, cool. that was fun. That was, and then that's a really good question. So yeah, it is a really good question. And I think a lot of people, whether you're a content creator or not, probably think about that a lot, you know? All right, let's finish it off with some trades. And uh, looks like Josh has been busy again. Oh. I'm assuming it's Josh. Yeah, me, man. Not, That's me. Oh, okay. It's a, it, well, it's a mixture. I mean. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll get my little trade out of the way. You guys could bash me. I do have a little backstory behind it, but whatever. I gave up Robert Woods and I got Trey Sermon and Deanders Johnson. I don't like I don't, it. I, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I, I, and the, the thing is, like this it. is, this is me talking too much and then just not saying no, because this was with one of the guys in the dispersal. And he's like, hey, man, I want Robert Woods. He's like, I could get Melvin Gordon or somebody else. I'm like, sweet, you draft Melvin Gordon, and then I'll, I'll, get, I'll send you over Robert Woods. I think that's fine. Wake up the next day. He's like, yeah, I couldn't pick Robert Woods. He's like, well, who, who else on Melvin, this list? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, Melvin Gordon. Who else on this list? And I was like, well, you know, how about Sermon and somebody else? And he's like, oh, I wasn't able to get both those, but I did get, oh, I wanted Sermon and Hines. I was like, well, Hines is fine. I could probably flex him, you know, time to time. He's like, well, I was able to get Sermon, but I wasn't able to get Heinz. I'm like, dang, so this guy already drafted one person based on what we talked about, but he didn't get the other person. So me and being the good person I am and lovable and likable, I was like, whatever. <laughs> so he ended up getting dear. He froze. The trade was that bad that it fr- caused him to freeze. <laughs> He'll be back in a second, I'm sure. Wow, that sucks. All right, so it looks like we're finishing oh. without Uriah, unless maybe he'll try to join back at some point while we're talking about these trades. All right, we'll keep going, but we'll see if he can try to join back. Either way, what I was going to say, though, I really was going to say this. I'm looking at it more and more, and I don't think that Darrenis Johnson and Trey Sermon are that bad. I think that if Sermon does catch on, which he totally could in that committee backfield, it's not that bad of a trade, but we'll see. And I, and we've talked about Darrenis Johnson. If he does get a chance somewhere else, it would be good. Oh, for sure. Or if Hunt go, if Schaub and Hunt go down, then he's set up for a prime role in their offense. All right, let's just run through the rest of these. All right, so I traded Michael Gallup and the 113 for Ayuk. Thompson Wars trying to get younger all around. Um, I've been trying to move Gallup for a minute. I've uh, been going back and forth, was trying to work a trade for Pitts. That fell through, but he had Ayuk. Um, I've always been a fan of Ayuk, um, especially since Mary J flexed, flexed me for Debo for the Denzel Mims trade. I had to get back in that San Francisco offense. So, I mean, I'm personally happy with the trade. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a decent deal. I mean, it's honestly a good deal both ways. I wouldn't mind the Gallup 1.13 side. I'm not a huge Gallup guy, but I do like getting a starting wide receiver and a first round pick. But I mean, I guess that's secondly a second round pick. But uh, yeah, I like Ayuk a lot. I think this is a fine trade, man. Go get your guy and, and you're not giving up too much. So it's good. No, and I guess I should also note I have the one uh, 1.02 and the 110 and don't have that many open spots. So all about consolidation. Next one I did was 212, 312, and 412 for Terrace Marshall. I have two firsts and an early second in that league. I was honestly at that, just trying to dump the picks. Um, high on Terrace Marshall, as long as he stays healthy. I know you aren't as high on him as I am, but I I hope he has a good future ahead of him. So that's again why it was worth taking. Yeah, I think a lot of people are probably happy with this for uh or happy to get Terrence Marshall for this personally I just was never really high on him and then seeing what happened in his first year very concerning I know there were some health issues involved there but with the QB situation I mean if they don't get that right DJ Moore won't be good so I can't I don't have any hopes for Terrence Marshall in that case you know what I mean so it is what it is but I, I think this is fine I'm just rather have the picks personally oh that's understandable than our trade I've been trying to fucking get Waddle any way I possibly can um hey look i shot you a couple different trade offers and for, out of the fucking blue you were like hey if i could get a 2023 first we could make something happen here so i was like fuck it i'll mortgage it 
<laughs> I so, totally didn't expect you to. Hey, Uriah, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. I don't know what happened. Hola. All right. Well, good. We get you to finish the show. We, we're talking about our console wars trade, uh, Josh and I, in, for, for Waddle here. So, Josh, tell tell everybody what you gave up for Waddle and, uh, and Bryson Hopkins as well, the, the tight end for the Rams. First off, I just would love to say that I told you I'll take Hopkins and you're like, I don't have Hopkins. I'm like, yes, well, you do. I thought you were like, talking oh, about DeAndre oh, Hopkins, Hopkins and I was like, I was like, DeAndre Hopkins, I was like, we're going to have to rethink this trade if you think Waddle and Hopkins for whatever you're trying to do here. I'm crazy. I'm not that crazy. Uh, no, so I traded um, 1.07 and a 2023 first for Waddle and Bryce Hopkins. Obviously, it was more for to get Waddle out of you and then just a little bit extra, but I love Waddle, man. I was willing to pay that price for him, and all I can say is I hope he pays off. I heard Peter Peter Howard talking about this, by the way, about, like, I think he would probably trade these two picks for Waddle, too. So, I don't know. What do you think you're at? Yeah, I mean, I think I – dang. I think I'm with the picks. I don't know. But I love Waddle. So, I, I mean, I – if that's 107 and then like next year is 110 or 111, then, you know, I, I think I want Waddle. A pretty good young core there that are all, for the most part, starters. So I have a hopeful that I'll go pretty far this year in the league. So I'm figuring that 2023 first will be towards the back end of the draft. So yeah, not bad. Yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm betting on the, the opposite of that. <laughs> but but no, I, I think what happened here for me is, you know, my team has been in contention a couple of years in a row. I, I won the league a few years back. And I'm really trying to keep it going, but also, you know, churn my team and get younger because my team's getting older. I mean, Tom Brady, it had Aaron Rodgers and and Ryan Tannehill on it, right? Or the three quarterbacks. So amongst other things, right? Just other Devontae Adams. There's a number of, of players that had Kamara on it. And I'll talk about some other trades. And I completely, I think, revamped my team or rejuvenated my team possibly here. But I got Waddle for pretty cheap last year. I think I turned like a couple seconds or or something like that into a late first and got waddle and then here i'm thinking look i just need to keep getting younger waddle's a hit but could i maybe get two wide receivers in this class or a wide receiver and a young quarterback in this class out of these two late picks so i'm trying to kind of turn it into waddle plus right like another waddle kind of player it is dangerous to do this, I think, though, because Waddle's already hit, right? We talk about this all the time. Yeah, like, that's... I'm giving up a guy who's already hit, and I'm betting on my skills as an evaluator that I'm going to hit on the players that I do pick, right? Or that I can turn maybe two of these picks into one pick earlier and get a surefire hit. So that's kind of what I'm banking on. Uh, but I, I love getting the 2023 first involved here, too. And I didn't think Josh was going – I didn't even consider it actually as an actual trade. I just said it, and then it happened. So – Good on you for for getting your getting your guy, man. Because I didn't even think I was gonna give him up. <laughs> hey, sometimes it happens. You throw something out there, and I'm like, fuck it, why not? Let's make the gamble. Especially with me having the 1.02, I could trade down and get that first back, hopefully. So, yep, you do have some some assets. So, all right, let me just talk really quickly about how I revamp my team and see what you guys think about it. After I did that with the same team in console wars, I also we talked about it last week. I declined the the love for 3.11. Then I went back to the guy. I was like, still want to do it? He was like, yeah. I was like, let's do it. So I got, (laughs) right? Like, so I think we all know what you guys think about that. I did that. And then, so I, that's just definitely a good lesson. Like you can always go back, even if you declined it. Like a lot of times they'll, they'll definitely still do it, which I think people get scared and nervous or whatever. Don't be, just go back and do it. So then what I did was I was trying to move Alvin Kamara because I don't like my age 26 running backs. I kind of did the same thing with Joe Mixon, tried to turn them into younger value somehow before they fall off the cliff. And I, you know, I don't think many people are going to be giving up two first for Alvin Kamara post 2022. So I tried to get it now and I gave up Alvin Kamara in a 2023 second for the 1.07 and 1.10. Actually, it might be a 1.08. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have... I might have, I might, it's console wars, so it's possible I could have two 107s, but I think it's the 108 actually in the 110. So that's Alvin Kamara, 2023 second for the 1.08, 1.10, and a 3.07. Thoughts? Yeah, I think I like it. Yeah, but you said about you're not going to be able to do this next year. So uh, doing it now is, is, is the time. I, I think you got good value for him. And yeah, you're not going to be able to do this next year. I'll be shocked if someone's coming up two, two first for Kamara uh, a year from now. Yep. And that gives me four firsts this year and two firsts next year. And I think I'm going to really do try to do what I said, which is move up in this draft and get something 
that I'm more confident in and then maybe have two of the back end picks or something like that. And that would make me really happy with the moves I've made. Finally here, what I did, and this was really partially to replace Waddle and also move on from Tannehill, right? Because I talked about last week how I, I think Tannehill definitely still has some value, but in my scenario where I have three 30 plus year old quarterbacks, 140 plus, it's just not a good bet to continue that trend and you know keep Tannehill on my team when I might not even start him this year. So I try to move him, right? And get get some production back for the waddle that I just lost. So I traded Ryan Tannehill and Kendrick Bourne, who I just think is middling. I've talked about this a lot. I want the studs. I'd rather just move those guys. So Tannehill and Kendrick Bourne for Michael Thomas, 2023 second and 2023 third. How'd I do? I think it's a gamble, but if Michael Thomas comes back healthy, then I think it's a home run, but it all depends on his health and how he plays in the new system. Yeah. I hate that you're making these moves in uh, the league I'm in with you, but you, <laughs> you're doing what you're supposed to do and your team is already probably playoff bound before you made all these moves. And now you have a ton of firepower to get younger and just continue to always be in contention in this league. Again, the Michael Thomas thing, I'm still not sure about it. I know he's really, really good when he played, but it's just like that recency bias. I haven't seen him do it in a while. Can he still do it? Sure. I don't know. But it doesn't even matter. You got two extra 23 picks. You got rid of the old quarterback and a wide receiver. That doesn't matter. So that's a move I really like for you. Yeah. I like can't believe I got this shit done. Like, <laughs> and it was all, by the way, within like a couple of days or two or three days. Like the when the dispersal was kicking – like people were moving fucking left and right. They didn't care what was happening. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm excited. But console wars forever, not just because like my team is good, but just the activity and the people involved, dude. It is such a fun league. It's insane. Every year, there's a slew of like trades all of a sudden, just like it, this happened. It happens every year, a couple times a year, honestly. And it's just, it's just really cool, man. And everybody's active talking. It's, it's fun. It's a really fun league. Uh, really quick before I do our sign off, I just want to say, Billy, the 102 is available if you want to trade. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want a couple first rounders for the 102? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a couple of those first rounders back and we could talk. All right. I'm interested in that. Wow. Wow. All right. This is where, man. Whew, I love this podcast. Tune in next week. <laughs> tune, in, tune in next week to find out what happened. Once we get our Patreon going, this can be part of the episode for the Patreon yes. listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, hey, shout out. We're going to get that going in the next week or two here. So stay tuned, folks. Thank you, everyone, for giving this week's episode of Dynasty Underdog a listen. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Dynasty Underdog, at Just Your IFF, at Willie Beeman DFF, and at Joshua M. Goldberg. Like Billy said, stay tuned to our Twitter pages to find out about our Patreon. Later. Later.